Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And what a day it was for Sony and the PlayStation 5. Yes, today was the day that had been long awaited for, the day in which Sony finally revealed to the world all of the details that the world wanted to know about their PlayStation 5 products, including, most importantly, the prices and the release date. Now, this showcase that was put forth today was about 40, 45 minutes long, and it had a number of focuses. Primarily, for the first half of this presentation, they wanted to show video games. Some of those video games looked great. Honestly, I was never more impressed in any of these showcases over the summer than I was with WB Games' Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy game that looks to be some kind of open-world role-playing game action-adventure thing in the world of Harry Potter. Looks absolutely fantastic. Super surprised that I am as excited as I am about that one. They offered some not-so-good-looking games. Look, I've been a big fan of Final Fantasy for my entire life. Final Fantasy VI is one of the top games of all time. I've loved the Final Fantasy VII Remake project, just like I liked the original. Final Fantasy XVI doesn't look quite there yet. And in fact, it winds up looking a lot to me like something like a Final Fantasy XV-2 type project. Maybe that's the engine. Maybe that's completely wrong. The good news is... They've got a lot of time to bake it in the oven because, hey, when Square announces a Final Fantasy, this thing's probably 10 years out. Might not even make the PlayStation 5 generation, so they've got time to cook this in the oven. And if that wasn't inexplicable enough, well, then we also had Five Nights at Freddy's make an appearance in the PlayStation 5 premier major multinational showcase. If anybody had Five Nights at Freddy's on their bingo card for making an appearance here, well... My hats are off to you. But at the end of the day, what everybody was waiting for was the price of these machines. And Sony did what a lot of people expected them to do after Microsoft came out with their numbers. Their main PlayStation 5 device, the one with the hard drive, matched the Series X price at $499 US dollars. And then the diskless version cut the difference between the PlayStation 5, and the Series S, the smaller Microsoft Xbox product, and hit a $400 price point, which I have to tell you, I think is a pretty good one. Because as you look at all of this, when we look at this from a business perspective, the Xbox Series S, yes, they have the pull position at that $299 number. That's going to be attractive to a lot of people. Good for them for being able to get a box out at that number. But... In order to get to that level, the Series S is not a comparable device to the Series X. We've been looking at news reports about what the Series S can do, the fact that they can't even put Xbox One X enhancements on the products that the Series S is selling because they're not a 4K device. They're not using the same computing power in the same way. And it is demonstrably different from what the Series X is going to put out on your TV screen. The PlayStation 5 digital version, by comparison is the same as the PlayStation 5 normal version. It just doesn't eat discs. So for $100 more, the Sony pitch is, for $100 more than that Series S, you're going to get a full-fledged PlayStation 5. The same PlayStation 5 that the guy with the disc player has, but it just doesn't play discs. So why not get the full feature set of a PlayStation 5 rather than get a harmed uh, feature set, a feature set that isn't as 
great as the Series X for that $300 purchase price. In my opinion, that's going to be close enough to $299. I think PlayStation 5 Digital is going to be a very successful project. But any way you look at it, these are good prices. This is a good spectrum of choices for people. And really, who can believe in 2020 that these two major corporations are going to release what amounts to four luxury items in 2020 at Christmas time during the holiday season in what might be one of the biggest economic downturns of our lives. It's a very interesting year here. And while this was a good presentation from Sony, while I think the 40, 45 minutes that they actually put out there was well done, it had good pacing, it had a number of games that you could grapple with, that you could remember, everything kind of changed after the showcase was over. Now to give the proper perspective to this, I want to acknowledge that I have also come down pretty hard on Microsoft's messaging in parts, right? I've done videos in this space in virtual legality that said, look, that Microsoft showcase, it didn't have proper messaging. It wasn't clear as to how the generational divide was going to work across these various products, their Xbox One and then their Xbox Series X, when the Series S wasn't even yet announced. I didn't like the messaging that they put forth that things were optimized for Series X, that this was the most powerful console ever, and that Halo Infinite didn't really show that off. So to be fair now, it has to be pointed out that Sony actually wound up having a rough day after the showcase was done. If we look at the statements that they have made throughout the year, if we actually hold them to task for what they had been pitching their project as, what the PlayStation 5 was supposed to be. The Washington Post did a great interview with PlayStation CEO Jim Ryan today. He says, says more PlayStation 5 units will be available than PS4s in 2013. That's the top line item, but there's a whole lot here. I'm going to read you some excerpts. I highly recommend checking it out for yourself. I will, of course, link it in the description. And it goes as follows. The choice for buying a PlayStation 5 is simple. It's $499, unless you don't care about having a disk drive. Then it's $399. That simplicity was by design, said Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO and President Jim Ryan. We want to give gamers clarity. We want to give them certainty. We want to future-proof them so that they know the console they buy will be relevant in several years' time. It's a considerable capital outlay, and we want to make sure people know they are buying a true next-generation console. This is in stark contrast, this is editorializing from the Washington Post now, to the Xbox series of consoles, S and X, which offer more nuanced differences, 4K versus 1440p, resolution being one example, and there are a number of these differences, with an even greater price difference of $299 and $499, respectively. So the Sony CEO, Jim Ryan, comes out here and says, look, we wanted to make it clear. The PlayStation 5 is the PlayStation 5. It's $100 for the disk drive. Now, I know a number of you are going to come into the comments of this video and say, hey, a hard drive, a disk drive doesn't cost $100. And that very well might be true. But as we've said in this space, as any kind of studier of economics will tell you, the value of a product is not dependent on the cost of the goods themselves. It might be based on those things. It might be reflective of those things. But if Sony thinks it makes sense to give you a $100 discount to take out that hard drive, they think it makes sense for reasons that are beyond the price of the hard drive to integrate into the hardware. So they've put forth these two numbers primarily because, as I said, when we looked at the Microsoft price, 
when you look at the surveys for the PlayStation 5 and you see all of this brand recognition, all of these people interested in buying a PlayStation 5, there was never any reason to undercut Microsoft. So the only question for my mind was, would they come in at a price that was above that Microsoft price point? And of course, they didn't do that. They matched it. And I think that makes a lot of sense if you're Sony. The second question was, how deep of a cut are you going to give for getting rid of that hard drive? And can you fly close enough to that Series S price point? And I think that was ultimately what was behind some of this thought process of setting these things at $499 and $399. Now, Jim Ryan says that's not the case. Jim Ryan says, well, the pricing of the PlayStation 5 machines was decided quite early this year. And Sony always intended to offer a version of the PlayStation 5 at the same price point at 2013's PlayStation 4 with the digital version. Now, you'll note here some editorializing from the Washington Post in that they say Ryan claims that the pricing was set earlier this year. I agree with the use of that language, regardless of whether or not you like the editorializing, because looking at the news articles that came out about the pricing of the PlayStation 5, the difficulties that they were have getting the manufacturing and distribution all lined up, I don't believe that this was set in stone at any point in the past, really before the last couple of weeks, if that. There is a reason that Microsoft and Sony were playing chicken. And that reason is because each of them wanted to go second. They knew that they had two products to sell. They knew that there was some variants that they wanted to use to push to market. And they wanted to go second because there is some strategy in positioning these things. Sony knew that they wanted to have a price that was probably going to be the same as the Xbox. Microsoft negotiating against itself, finally deciding that it had to release the price as of last week, or maybe having that leaked out from under them when they would have held even longer, said 499 is the number. It's 499 and 299. Those are our numbers. That's as low as we can go. That's as low as we reasonably want to go. Sony said, great, we'll match that price. We'll cut $100 off of it and we'll position ourselves right in the middle. Jim Ryan says that's not the case. It was always going to be 400. Maybe it wasn't always going to be 500. Hard to say. I don't know whether I believe him. Ultimately, that's not really important to what PlayStation is doing right now. As we mentioned as the top line item in this article, Ryan also says that more PlayStation 5 units will be ready for sale than they had PlayStation 4 units ready in 2013. That, of course, would be great news. Uh, we will see how that goes. Part of this video is talking about how certain aspects of the ordering process have already gone today, but it would certainly be a great thing if all those units were available to people that wanted them, that were PlayStation fans and wanted to purchase their product. Now we get into some more dicey situations, some more dicey language that Mr. Ryan of PlayStation, of Sony, tries to dance around. While it wasn't mentioned in Sony's official announcement, developers of certain games later confirmed that PS5 exclusives like Horizon Forbidden West and Spider-Man Miles Morales aren't exclusive at all. They are both releasing PS4 versions, which may irritate a few Sony fans who took to heart Sony's commitment to next-gen development. That's being a little kind. Another way to write that sentence would be to say, to those Sony fans that believed the CEO. If we go and we look at Game Industry Biz, way, way back in May of this year, a whole four months ago, we see an interview with Sony's Jim Ryan, the very same Jim Ryan that we are currently reading an interview with at the Washington Post. 
And if we scroll down a little bit, he's got a great interview here. Check it out. We'll link it in the description. We scroll down and we find a few interesting things that Mr. Ryan had to say. As this article puts it, one way to keep PS4 users engaged would be to make upcoming PS5 games playable on the older machine. Just like Microsoft is proposing with its Xbox Series X games being playable on Xbox One. Yet Ryan says that's not something PlayStation is interested in doing. We have always said that we believe in generations. This is Jim Ryan talking. We believe that when you go to all the trouble of creating a next-gen console, that it should include features and benefits that the previous generation does not include. And that, in our view, people should make games that can make the most of those features. It is time to give the PlayStation community something new, something different, that can only really be enjoyed on PlayStation 5. And yet, four months later, here it is, Sony coming out, not telling you in the showcase, not otherwise saying anything about this, kind of slipping it in there. Hey, Spider-Man... Not exclusive to PlayStation 5. You can play that on PlayStation 4 if you want in November. Horizon Forbidden West, whenever it comes out, it's also coming out on PlayStation 4. Jim Ryan was not accurate in, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, the predictions of the future that he was putting forth in this interview. Of course, game development takes time. PlayStation 4 versions don't fall off of trees. And so it strains credibility to suggest that Mr. Ryan didn't know that this was a possibility when he gave an interview like this. So when the Washington Post says, it may irritate a few Sony fans who took to heart Sony's commitment to next-gen development, I sit back and say, look, cross-gen doesn't really bother me. What bothers me is lying to my face, going into an interview, and as your marketing campaign, your messaging, going out as Sony and saying, we believe in generations... And then really, during your big blowout of the PlayStation 4, saying, nah, we don't actually believe in generations. Now, Mr. Ryan tries to put a spin on it. He says, no one should be disappointed. The PlayStation 5 versions of those games are built from the ground up to take advantage of the PlayStation 5 feature set. And we have an upgrade path for PlayStation 4 users to get the PlayStation 5 versions for free. It's about people having choice. I'm really quite pleased about the situation. Now, were I the Washington Post or the interviewer here, more specifically, I might have grilled down a little bit on this. It's all well and good to say nobody should be upset. I don't even necessarily disagree with the overall thrust of that statement. Hey, if you want to get Miles Morales on PlayStation 4, bully for you. But there has been a lot of discussion about things like Halo Infinite, about the Xbox plan, about whether or not lower performing systems like the Xbox Series S are going to hold back the bigger systems. And that now has to be a conversation that people have with respect to the PlayStation 5. Because I don't know when Horizon Forbidden West comes out. I don't know when these various things are ultimately going to come out. But it is clear that Sony intends to have this cross-generation capability for likely at least a year. I think one of the questions you should ask is, does Ratchet and Clank suddenly go to the PlayStation 4? Does anything else that looks like it might have been PlayStation 5 exclusive go to the PlayStation 4? Those are all questions that are worthy of being asked. Unfortunately, the person that could give you the answer to those questions is now suddenly very publicly and specifically untrustworthy. And I'm not saying that to be mean. Honestly, I don't care about the content of the message. I care about going out with this kind of thing and then just waving your hands. 
One of the things that should be done from good messaging, from a C-level officer that really has to take these changes of direction and apologize for them, they should have a statement here that says, look, I know what I said in May. I know what I said as part of our marketing. We looked at the situation of PlayStation 4 users, what we were putting together with the PlayStation 5, and we changed direction. And we apologize for anybody that was investing in this process on the premise that we would focus solely on the PlayStation 5 ecosystem. That wasn't an appropriate thing to put in your minds. And we're going to move forward from there. You admit that. Nope. Just says no one should be disappointed. Everybody gets the game. And ultimately, I kind of agree with that overall. I don't have a problem with cross-generation, but I've got a problem with lying. That I definitely do. Ryan also said that of the thousands of games tested for PlayStation 4 backwards compatibility, 99% can be played on the next console. Sony also announced a new service called PS Plus Collection, which will offer 18 PS4 first-party titles for download to subscribers to the PlayStation Online service. Now, that yellow part I actually think is wrong. It's unclear. Obviously, nobody has the PlayStation Plus Collection right now, but at least in the showcase, they showed a bunch of third-party titles, things like Batman. Arkham Knight, I think, was one of the things that was shown. Persona 5, things that aren't first-party titles to Sony and the Sony first-party developers. So I think PlayStation Plus Collection is intended to be something different than that. Maybe exclusives to the Sony brand, hard to say, although Batman doesn't do that either. Either way, I think this description on the Washington Post is a little bit incorrect. The reason I highlighted these points in this paragraph is it also helps to start answer a question that was at the front of a lot of people's minds when Microsoft started out going with their messaging on backwards compatibility, and most importantly, Game Pass, right? Game Pass is the Microsoft games model of the future. They want to sell you recurring revenue software where you buy a Game Pass, you owe them money per month, and you play whatever's in there. I think it's a great product. I highly recommend checking it out. But Sony really doesn't have something that's exactly the same. They have PlayStation Now that they've kind of been fooling around with. And now what they have done is what Look to me during the showcase, they have created what I would consider a baby game pass. Hey, here's a bunch of games that we have rights to. Here's God of War. Here's Uncharted 4. Here's these various other things. You're going to get free with PlayStation Plus for as long as you have PlayStation Plus. Things are going to go in and out of that service. We're going to continue to update it. Unclear. Sony hasn't really made very strong commitments on this, but we're going to offer something that feels a little bit like Game Pass. And if we can get to a place where we feel a little bit like Game Pass, we have confidence that our products are stronger than Microsoft's. And honestly, I can't sit here and disagree with them. But that seems to be that component. And now you're starting to get a little bit more messaging about that PlayStation 4 backwards compatibility. That's been an open question mark as well, because all they have ever said is we're working on it. We think everything's mostly going to be backwards compatible. We now have a statement from Jim Ryan, who again has a trust issue here, that 99% are going to be playable and that maybe only things that work with the dimmer light in a weird way or the PlayStation 4 architecture in a specifically weird way are going to be a problem for bringing over to the PlayStation 5. If that is true, then I think that's a very good move. I think that's a very exciting thing for the world of the PlayStation and that the PS Plus collection is something that could be an improvement to the Sony ecosystem as well. Look, I am very likely to own all of the games that are in this collection based on what I saw in the showcase. But for folks that don't do that, for folks that are coming over maybe from Microsoft that haven't been involved in the PlayStation family for a while, I think it makes a lot of business sense. And I can't really disagree with going forward with that kind of plan. Now, after this interview, 
which I think is very good one, and I highly recommend checking out. There were another couple of pieces of this puzzle that I thought were interesting. One of the things was Spider-Man Miles Morales. Now, you might remember that I've talked about Spider-Man Miles Morales extensively in this space. I've done a number of videos because this was one of the areas in which Sony was really struggling with messaging. You can see here that when they first announced it, IGN thought it was a sequel. Was it a remastering of the original? They've got descriptions that it's an expansion and an enhancement. Maybe it was a standalone game. Ultimately, things kind of started developing in a direction that suggested that Miles Morales was a standalone of a kind of uncharted or infamous level of those standalones, and then something else might be attached to it. In fact, I did that video when Comic Book Gaming, reiterating something from Game Informer, said, Miles Morales on PS5 reportedly includes a PS5 remaster of PS4's Marvel Spider-Man from 2018, And then they talked about pricing. And I went and I did a video and said, well, if that is the case, then we are just playing semantic games about what an expansion is. If you are going to sell a full price game that is Miles Morales plus Spider-Man, then what you've really done is sold a remaster. And people came after me and talked to me about, well, they say it's a standalone. I, I understand what they say. I understand even how it operates. You have to go and you have to click a different button to get in there. What I'm saying is that is different from the business kind of perspective here, that it could have been an expansion. It looks for all the world like an expansion, especially if you attach a remastering of the original game to it. And yet you don't want to do that so that you can charge certain prices for the overall product. So when this blog post went up just after the showcase, see the Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales new gameplay demo, I took special note. This is from James Stevenson, the community director of Insomniac Games. They go over what was shown in the showcase. It's a very impressive trailer. Highly recommend it. I love the Spider-Man game from 2018. I have no doubt this is a good product. And yet, we're also excited today to reveal the Marvel Spider-Man's Miles Morales will be arriving on both PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4. Yes, that's right. We know that some of you may transition to PlayStation 5 at different times, which is why it was important to us to release the latest title in the Marvel Spider-Man universe on both consoles. Indeed, we've already talked about that issue, but it does put paid to the lie that Jim Ryan and Sony had been going forward with over the summer. Further, we start to get into some interesting pricing stuff. The standard edition will be available digitally on the PlayStation Store or physically at your local retailer for $50, $49.99. So the current standard price, the price that you paid for Spider-Man 2018 in 2018 was 60. This will be 50. Marvel Spider-Man's Miles Morales also supports a next-gen upgrade path. So even if you aren't ready to upgrade to PS5 just yet, there's nothing stopping you from buying the PS4 version and enjoying the game alongside everyone else at launch. Again, the PlayStation 4 version, Ultimately, the same as the PlayStation 5 version. Doesn't have some of the enhancements, doesn't have some of the load time features, but it's the same experience. So Sony hasn't delivered on that promise that you should get a PlayStation 5 to get experiences that aren't available on those prior generations of software. More importantly, at that $50 price point, things start to look like, well, you're charging a lot. What are you trying to set vis-a-vis your prices? Or as we see in the blog, but that's not all. We have one more surprise for you today. On PlayStation 5, we are announcing an Ultimate Edition that includes a voucher code for Marvel's Spider-Man Remastered. You'll be able to experience the complete storyline up to this point, which includes the remaster of the original game and all three installments of the DLC. The remaster for the PlayStation 5 is no simple up-res, 
Many of the game's art assets have been completely updated. You'll see better looking characters, ray traced reflections, ambient shadows, and probably a whole heck of a lot more puddles. I think we can all hope for those puddles. But at the end of the day, what does that Ultimate Edition cost? Well, it will launch both physically and digitally on the PlayStation Store for $69.99. Which means, if you're keeping track at home, that they are selling this remaster of a game that you may or may not have already purchased in 2018 with a mandatory $50 cover charge for another $20, leading to a purchase price of $69.99 and giving some credence to these rumors that came out earlier that Miles Morales was going to be packaged with a remaster of Marvel's Spider-Man from 2018. Now, why does that $69.99 price point matter so much? Because that's the price that Sony is now setting for its first party video games. We've talked about $70 in this space, but Sony also as part of this, not as part of their showcase, but as part of Spider-Man and, and as part of the rest of the announcements that they were putting forth, announced that their new price point for their games was going to be $70. And so when you look at this, Demon's Soul, $70, Destruction All-Star, $70, Sackboy, $60. Hey, Sackboy gets a little bit of a discount. Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales Ultimate Edition is $70. That is the full price project. That is the full price product that they want to put out there for Spider-Man. Sure, they've got a $50 version, but they want to buy the $70 version. They want you to have the remaster of Spider-Man. And ultimately, even if you're a Sony fanboy, even if you love PlayStation, you always have, I think we have to look at this objectively and say Sony doesn't get out of the discussion that we have been having about remasters, about cross-generation support throughout this ex entire experience, right? Control got into a lot of trouble. 505 Games got into a lot of trouble, both in journalistic outlets and definitely on this channel, when they said, hey, if you bought Control in the DLC before, we're not going to give you a free upgrade over to the PlayStation 5. But if you buy this $40 version that's new, we're going to give you that free upgrade over to the PlayStation 5. The Spider-Man situation is not perfectly analogous. You've got $20 vouchers. You've got a slightly older game. You've got no upgrade path even offered at all from the PlayStation 4 to the PlayStation 5. But you have a similar kind of concept. We aren't going to do smart delivery like Xbox says. We aren't going to bring things freely from the PlayStation 4 to the PlayStation 5 environment. Indeed, as a first-party software developer, we are going to charge you for the privilege of playing that game you bought not two years ago and to have it have ray tracing and ambient shadows. It's going to be 20 bucks, And it might not ever be $20 alone. We don't know. Given that it's a voucher, given the way they've described it, I suspect they will sell the Spider-Man 2018 remaster, at least on their digital store, in some fashion after Miles Morales has gone through its initial sales cycle. But we don't know that for sure. And so if you want to play Spider-Man up-resed, upgraded for the PlayStation 5 on day one, you have to pay their $20. And that is very similar to the things that got third-party publishers in trouble. And if I were Microsoft... I don't have a specific party I'm rooting for. I know some of you won't believe me in the comments of this video, but if I were Microsoft, I would look at a situation like this and I would say, you know what? 
We use this. We talk about smart delivery. We talk about our commitment to backward compatibility, our optimization for Series X. And we use all of this to spin up ads about how difficult Sony is making the process and the fact that Sony is charging you directly when we've already pledged to give things like Series X enhancements to Gears 5 and Halo and whatever. So what you are looking at right now, I think, is a similar situation. And unfortunately, it's a footfall. I think it's not a good look for Sony. And at the end of the day, you now kind of are collecting not good looks, right? You're collecting falsities. You're collecting the CEO saying in one breath four months ago that we're going to believe in generations and now saying we don't, that they're going to increase the price, but they're also going to sell you a standalone expansion thing for $50, the bulk of the price of the original, which they've already said is going to be smaller in scope. And they're really going to sell you a full price version of the original with this expansion. They've just flipped it around so that they can try to get away with that $70 price point. And look, it's a great, great game. If you haven't bought it already, this might be an excellent entry point for you. And I have no doubt Miles Morales is going to be a lot of fun. But in that same breath, I don't love this pricing. I don't love this schema. I don't really love how Sony pulled all of this together. And that continued with my final point of the night. Hey, if you were online at all during the hours of about 7 to 8.30 here on the East Coast of the United States, you probably saw various retailers across the internet randomly putting up PlayStation 5 pre-orders and PlayStation 5 package pre-orders and bundles and them going off and on and off and on. And if you're like me, you tried to hit some of those buttons. Maybe you had some more success than me. I didn't get a PlayStation 5 trying to click on those buttons. But at the end of the day, it was a mess. Or as The Verge says, it was a mess. Did you pre-order a PlayStation 5 today? Sony ended its presentation today with the long-awaited price and release date for the PlayStation 5, but stopped short of telling gamers when and where to buy one until a tweet seemed to make things clearer. Pre-orders would begin tomorrow on September 17th. Or so it seemed for an hour or two. Now it's become an utter mess. Perhaps eager to capitalize on the demand, retailers quickly turned the pre-order situation into a free-for-all. Walmart went out uh, with a tweet that said, pre-order now. GameStop issued a press release. Target put something up. Best Buy put something up. It was a mess. It's a great phrase for all of this. The Verge, my hat's off to you. It was absolutely a mess. And it really culminated with this great screen from GameStop as apparently all the people looking to pre-order a PlayStation 5 and refreshing that page, myself included, made the GameStop server infrastructure think they were under a DDoS attack. And a lot of people just wound up seeing this screen. Sorry, you have been blocked. Now, ultimately, look, this particular issue isn't entirely Sony's fault. Sony isn't in charge of the retailers. I have no doubt there are some phone calls going on right now talking to people that wound up setting this up because it looks bad for Sony. One of the reasons it looks bad for Sony, though, is of their own making, and that is like the earlier summer comments on believing in generations, they went out with a comment to assuage people's fears about being able to get a PlayStation 5. Or as Jeff Keighley's tweet here says from July 17, PlayStation Worldwide Marketing Head Eric Lempel says they will give gamers plenty of advance notice. Now look, even if the pre-orders went up tomorrow, they didn't put that information in their showcase. They didn't put it in the place that most people would find it. They put it in a tweet afterwards and said they will start the next day. In my mind, that's not plenty of advance notice. But as we say in this space, reasonable minds can differ. 
either way, though, when something like this happens shortly after you say pre-orders are going to go up tomorrow, everybody is justifiably upset at the entire process. And you wind up getting articles in The Verge talking about things being sold out, buttons not working, errors happening, things moving in and out of carts. And so at the end of the day, Sony really only has themselves to blame. They said they would set up a time. People would know that time. Perhaps their retail partners would have been aware of that time had Sony done a better job of setting it up. And instead, this whole thing winds up looking amateurish and winds up with your biggest fans, the people that really want to give you $400 or $500, experiencing intense frustration. And for what? Now, I strongly suspect that Sony made the decision that pre-orders would go up tomorrow pretty late in the day. And so they didn't have the usual kind of hard and fast processes to make sure that retailers knew what was up, knew when to hit buttons and things of that nature. And then once one retailer jumps on things, yes, the rest of the retailers are going to say embargo's broken and we're going to do it as well. But ultimately, Sony should have been in control of this. And at the end of the day, what should have been a very exciting day for Sony, a day in which They revealed their showcase in which they showed a lot of games, in which they had a lot of good news, in which they finally, finally, finally set up the price points that they would actually sell this thing at. And the day they would sell it on, November 12th, it was mired a little bit by misstatements, mismanagement, and poor messaging. Ultimately, I'm still excited for the PlayStation 5. I'm still excited for Miles Morales. I'm not as excited about the price points that Sony is choosing to look at for these quote-unquote remasters and things being brought up to PlayStation 5 snuff. But at the end of the day, I hope very much that the Xbox is a success, that the PlayStation 5 is a success, and that you all find a game and a game console that you love and that you love to play. This has been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you did, please like, subscribe, share, tell folks that we are here. We are putting together various aspects of virtual legality. We're putting together a Teespring store that you can see linked in the description. We're doing other things that will hopefully continue to grow this channel, grow the support that so many of you have shown for it. I really appreciate it. Please do share it around with anybody that you think might be interested in talking about the business and law of the pop culture stuff, especially video games that we are otherwise already interested in. If you saw this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.